Okay, so I'm going to kind of skim over this and, and kind of like what Pastor Ray was doing. I encourage you to go back and read the, the notes because it's so important. And so, you know, the eschatology is the doctrine of the last things. And uh, what we're going to go over today is some events that are in the future, just to kind of give you a little bit of an understanding of what to look forward to. Okay, so Roman numeral number one is in reference to the return of Jesus Christ. And letter A is the rapture. The rapture, R-A-P-T-U-R-E. -E. And if you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. The Thessalonians were confused with those who had died they kind of thought that they missed the whole resurrection thing. They, you know, because they were so expecting the Lord to return in their lifetime. And, uh, and so when this started happening, they were wondering, what's going to happen to those who have already died? They're not going to, you know, be with the Lord. They're not going to go to heaven. And Paul here is saying, we don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have died. Um, we believe just like Jesus died and rose again, even go. So God will bring those who have, who have died in Christ. And so in verse 15, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord will, himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And that word right there, caught up, that's the rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so it's interesting how um, verse 15 calls this the coming of the Lord. And so that's why theologians, a lot of times, will, will include this in, in the return of Jesus Christ, although it, it's a little different, obviously, than when he actually comes and sets up his kingdom. It's still kind of like this is the whole process of his return. And so the, the rapture, and most likely the next event on the prophetic calendar, this is the event when Jesus comes down, descends to the clouds in order to give all believers their glorified bodies. In the process, he will gather up his church from planet earth that they might be with him forever. First Thessalonians 4.17 tells us that we will be caught up. Now the Greek word harpazo is translated rapturo in the Latin translation of the Bible and it literally means to seize or snatch away. So just in case someone asks you, where did you get the word rapture from? Well, it's from the Latin rapturo which is the translation of the Greek harpazo, which means to be caught up or snatched away. The Greek word is also used in Acts 8.39, where Philip was caught up, and in 2 Corinthians 12, 
2 through 4, where Paul was caught up. And so, interesting, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. First Corinthians 15, in verse 51, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That, that means we're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And so when Jesus comes to rapture the church, which can happen at any moment, I mean, when I was studying this, I was so excited. I was thinking, Lord, you can come at any moment. Um, nothing needs to be fulfilled. Everything's ready. I mean, the, the, the signs of the tribulation period are there. So we know that before the tribulation period is the rapture. And so we're living in these days. And so what happens is those who have already died... They're with the Lord, but they don't have their glorified bodies yet. They don't have their permanent bodies yet. So when the rapture takes place, those people who have already passed away, they will receive their glorified bodies. That's what he's talking about right here. The dead in Christ will rise. They're going to receive their glorified bodies. Then we who are alive, that's us, and remain, we're going to be transformed. It says in the twinkling of an eye. That's one eleventh of a second. <laughs> It's going to happen just like that. And, and we're going to be caught up with the Lord. And you know, the Lord ascended into heaven. We're going to ascend into heaven. I was thinking about that whole process, how awesome it's going to be. So the Lord will rapture his church. Now, I want to share this with you because I want to scare you. I'm just joking. I, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I'm just going to say this, okay? Um... Some people, there is a little bit of a debate on who gets raptured. You know, I, I would tend to say, well, just the whole church gets raptured. Like if you're a believer, you get raptured. But there are a few people out there, and some of them are pretty well known, who say if you're walking in carnality, you're going to get left behind. Now, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, I study it and I'm leaning more towards, you know, he raptures his church out. But uh, you need to be really careful with that. You don't want to get left behind because you know what the picture of the rapture person is in the Old Testament? Do you guys, anybody know who that is? Yes, I'm sorry, Joseph. What does carnality mean? Carnality means walking in the flesh. And so the Old Testament picture right here in Genesis 5.24 is Enoch. It says in Genesis 5.24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Hebrews 11.5, By faith, that's the commentary, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So Enoch, if you read Genesis, he walked with God for 300 years. And then one day, boom, God took him. Here it says the same thing. And, that, and then he pleased, with, and he pleased God. And so 
I, again, I don't want to, I don't know. I mean, I've studied the Bible a lot, but I'm like, man, this guy's a solid Christian. All I know is this, don't mess around. Because the Lord could come at any moment. And my encouragement to you is to walk with God. You know, not, not that you earn your salvation, but just, you know, have that in mind. Yes. Even at the time of the rapture, if you're doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing, Not, yeah, and I would say it's probably not like some isolated incident. I'm talking about somebody who's backslidden, somebody who's in persistent, consistent sin, and that's the possibility. But um, like I said, if you were to corner me, at what is my belief? I believe God's going to take his church, but I have to respect some of these teachers who say, no, if you're not walking with God you you might get left behind and the crazy thing about it is we don't have time to get to go there but when you read 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 it seems to say that if you were you heard the truth and this is for non-believers and they resisted the truth then they can't be saved during the tribulation period so it's it's a lot of there's a lot of things to take into consideration but, but that's next, the rapture of the church. And this is why we're going to see later, we can, we can identify the very day Jesus comes back the second time. There's no question about it. Because the tribulation period is seven years. Halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist comes in and proclaims to be God. The Bible gives us the amount of days, the very amount of days. So we can calculate the day of the second coming. But we cannot do that with the rapture of the church. And that's why whenever Jesus says, hey, no man knows the day or the hour, he's talking about the rapture. It's going to be something that, you know, the Bible says we should know the season more or less because we see the signs, but we don't know the day. And so what it does, First John 3, it says it purifies us to know that the Lord can come at any moment. You better get right or you're going to get left. You ever heard that? Okay, letter B, the seven-year tribulation period. And really, when you read Revelation chapters 6 through 19, for the most part, that right there is the seven-year tribulation period. Um, Turn to Matthew 24. It says in verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor forever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. I mean, it's, it gets so bad. The earthquakes, the meteors, the, 
the droughts, I mean, the famines, the pestilences, the demons that are let out on earth. I mean, the wrath of God is so intense that if God didn't come and end that whole tribulation period, everybody would be dead. And so this right here, when the, uh, you know, the Antichrist goes in and commits what's called the abomination of desolation, and you see that in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, then um, he goes into the temple, proclaims to be God. You can calculate from that day, three and a half years, and then Jesus will come back. And so this tribulation period serves two purposes. Number one, God deals with the Jews. Many will be saved. So in the book of Daniel chapter 9, God appointed 70 seven-year periods for Israel. The first 69 of those seven-year periods has been completed, but there remains one final week for Israel. It begins with the Antichrist making a seven-year covenant with Israel. He will bring some sort of peace in the Middle East. Midway through this week, however, we read it, Revelation 13, 5, Daniel 7, 25, the Antichrist will show his true colors and he will go into the temple proclaiming he's God, demanding me worship, and that's the abomination of desolation. And so, yes, whatever. Um, the Antichrist, can he be anyone? You ask the hard questions, huh? <laughs> you know, it's interesting when you talk to people. In Daniel 9, it says that he's from the people of the prince who is to come. They would desolate the sanctuary. In other words, they were the Romans who um, destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And so a lot of people believe that it has to come. He has to come from the revived Roman Empire. And, uh, and so today it would be uh, Europe, the European community. But um, there are also those who say he has to be Jewish. And so you get two views on that. So anyways, um, I, I believe more along the lines that he has to come from the revived Roman Empire. But we do know the Jews are going to accept him. And so the, the seven-year tribulation period, God is going to be dealing with the Jews. A lot of them are going to die, but a lot of them are going to get saved. So he deals with the Jews. It's the last week. The first 69 weeks have already been fulfilled when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was, uh, you know, the whole prophecy of 69, seven-year period. So the very day Jesus rode in, and then there's one week left. That's a seven-year tribulation period. And, and you know, so that's one reason. Another reason for the seven-year tribulation period is God judges the world. And we see that in Revelation 6, 16 through 17, when they say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. I mean, people um, are going to come in and they're going to try to escape, but they can't. And so number one, God deals with the Jews. Many will be saved. Number two, God judges the world. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, it talks about the, the wrath of God. Turn there real quick. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, it says, For God did not point us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so this is the wrath of God. And he's going to judge the, the world. The judgments described in Revelation chapters 6 through 19 describe the cataclysmic events that will take place on planet Earth during this time. And so right here it says, Got Questions. And, you know, Got Questions is a pretty good website. It really is. They're balanced. And I'm not saying that everything they, they have we agree with, but it seems like most of what they have we agree with. And so... Right here it says, throughout Scripture, the tribulation is referred to by other names, such as the Day of the Lord, the Trouble or Tribulation, uh, the Great Tribulation, which refers to the more intense second half of the seven-year period, uh, a time or day of trouble, even Jacob's trouble. So during that tribulation period, the first three and a half years are going to be peaceful. The Antichrist will come and he's going to be like the answer that the world is looking for. And I tell you what, you guys, uh, even today I got a message from someone who was talking about how in, 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 uh, in the Middle East, I don't know if you heard about the Pope and some of the religious leaders that got together and they signed an ecclesiastical agreement, ecumenic uh, agreement, because they're moving towards a one world religion. And so this just seems like things are, are happening. So we get raptured, seven-year tribulation. God is going to deal with the Jews. He's going to fulfill that final week. God's going to deal with the world, and he's going to judge the world. And it's just going to be a crazy time. And then, we don't have it in our notes, but you can write it there. During that time, we are at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, the Jews would uh, celebrate their wedding for seven days. We're going to have seven years. <laughs> Celebration? Yes. Yes, for us, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that interesting? Now, letter C is the Bema seat judgment. B-E-M-A seat judgment. And what it is right here is referred to the judgment seat of Christ. It does not determine salvation. That was determined by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and our faith in Him. And so all of our sins are forgiven and we will never be condemned for them. But we should not look at the judgment seat of Christ as God judging our sins, but rather as God rewarding us for our lives. Yes, as the Bible says, we will have to give an account of ourselves. Part of this is surely answering for the sins we committed. However, that is not going to be the primary focus of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is interesting. I've always just really, when I look at the judgment seat of Christ, I don't see like any aspect of God dealing with our sins. Uh, primarily, I, I, I see it as God um, judging our works. What you did for Him, what, what Ray was talking about today, the, the gifts that we have, you, you know, that's not just, you know, I'll think about it, Lord. No, that's, it's very important that you invest into the kingdom, the, the gifts that God's given to you, because uh, one day we're going to give an account. But there's an interesting passage in 1 John 2, 28. It says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence before him, and not be ashamed at his coming. How can someone be ashamed at his coming? You know, maybe there is an aspect of, you know, Jesus said you're going to have to give an account for every idle word. Think about that. Every idle word. I don't know how the Bema seat, you know, how it, the, the, the details of everything, but when you read up on it and you study it, I, I want to say primarily it's Him, God judging our works, 
what we did, and why we did it. And we don't have time to go there, but I encourage you, you read these passages right here. We must all appear before the Bema seat. And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says that all our works are going to be put into the fire. And whatever comes out is our reward. Now, if all our works were just done for the wrong motive, like, like Ray was saying, like there's no love, then it all gets burned up. Wood, hay, and stubble, it all gets burned up. But if it was done obediently and with the right motive, then we're going to receive a reward because the gold and the silver and those precious metals, they'll survive the fire. So 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about that. And then chapter 4, it says that God judges our faithfulness and our motives. And what we find is that um, God will judge what we did, why we did it, and in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, the NIV translates it this way. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each one will receive their praise from God. And so faithfulness and proper motives will be the basis of our reward which you might wonder, well, what is God going to give us? A million dollars? A big mansion? You know, don't tell anybody I told you, but there are these two ladies that come in and clean the church. And every time I see them, I just say, man, invite me to your mansion when, when we're in heaven. I know God is going to reward them greatly. But probably, I don't know, not literally a mansion. But... um. Some say even more responsibility, more work. If you're faithful, you know, I'll put you over 10 cities. Is that going to be the millennial kingdom only? How does it work out? I don't know. All I know is I encourage you, be faithful. Doesn't have, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be up front. You don't have to be first. Just be faithful. Check your motives. Paul says, as far as I know, I'm doing it for the right reason, but even I don't know for sure. He says, one day, God will bring everything to light. And so you want to get ready for that day. I tell you what, John, he tells us, he says in 2 John 1.8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. And Jesus spoke of rewards often. In Revelation 22.12, one of the last words in the Bible, he says, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so I encourage you to be ready for that Bema seat. Does it, does it kind of like stimulate you or inspire you to know that one day you're going to stand before Jesus and your, your whole life will kind of be brought to light? Doesn't that kind of inspire you, motivate you. There's a little bit of a healthy fear, but man, I want to live life right. It's like a healthy fear. A healthy fear. You know, because a lot of times people will look at prophecy and it's all about the head knowledge and they want to know all that kind of stuff. No, it's about living a life huh, that's purified. So um, just a couple of things real quick. Letter D is Armageddon. Armageddon. So at the end of the tribulation period... Satan will muster up the kingdoms of the world to come against Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will return and utterly defeat the nations of the world. He will cast them. He will then cast the Antichrist and false prophet into the lake of fire, 
alive, the Bible says in Revelation 19, verse 20. And so Armageddon is, is an interesting word. It's, it comes from the Valley of Megiddo. It actually talks about a mountain Megiddo, which we don't really have a mountain. We have a hill. But if you go to Israel, you'll see that valley where 200 battles have taken place. You'll see that, that valley where um, Saul was killed, that, that, that whole plain, that valley uh, where Josiah was killed and where the last battle will take place. And you guys remember the battle, the story in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes back on a white horse? Do you remember that one? He's got a, 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 a tattoo on his thigh. What is it? You guys remember? Not of this world. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. What does he have in his mouth? A sword. And with it, he'll smite the nations. And what does that mean? He's just going to speak it. Now, did you know that we're with him? He's riding that horse. Did you know that we're with him? Jude talks about that with ten thousands of his saints. And we're going to be right there. We're going to come back with him. That's Armageddon. He's going to wipe out the nations. And then after that, you have the millennial kingdom spoken of in Revelation 20, 1 through 6. And let's turn there real quick and we're just probably going to go over 17 minutes. I'm just joking, hopefully. Revelation 20. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. So Satan gets bound in the abuso for a thousand years. He cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so the millennial kingdom, basically everyone who survives the tribulation will stand before Christ. And you guys remember Matthew chapter 25 where he separated the sheep from the goats? Okay, that's going to take place at that point. It's called the judgment of the nations. And then um, what we find is the goats will immediately be judged, but the sheep will be allowed to experience the literal, actual rule of Jesus Christ as king on planet earth for a thousand years. And the church will also reign with him during this time. And, and so the millennium, Jesus being king on earth, do you think that's going to be cool? I mean, the whole thing about the son of David, the king coming, that we're going to see that for a thousand years. And while he's here, it won't be heaven, but we're going to feel the effects of Jesus ruling on earth. Uh, well, during this time, I mean, the, the deserts will be turned into these lush uh, uh, places where there's streams. Uh, there'll be harvests. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. Uh, we're going to find that um, Satan's going to be locked up for a thousand years. Dangerous animals such as lions and leopards and wolves are going to become so peaceful that Isaiah 11 talks a lot about this and 35, that a little child will lead them. Meat-eating animals will become vegetarians. Lions will eat grass. 
Snakes will no longer be dangerous, even poisonous snakes. Babies will play with them. Um, there's not going to be any bloodshed in nature, and it's going to be so amazing uh, during that time. But even after that, remember, now those who survived the, uh, the, the seven-year tribulation, who were righteous, they went into the thousand years, and then they multiplied. There's not going to be a lot of dying. If anyone gets out of line, God will rule with a rod of iron. But they repopulate. And what ends up happening is all these people are then, in one sense, kind of forced to serve the Lord. When Satan is released after a thousand years, he's going to muster up a final rebellion at the end of a thousand years. And again, there will be a battle. This time the Father will just wipe everyone out. And that's when you get into the last thing, which is uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And so let's read Revelation 21 and we'll close with this. And I want to encourage you guys to read through your passages when you get a chance. It says in Revelation 21, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now that is probably the best description of what the third heaven is. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And so heaven and I, and I think you guys probably know a little bit more about that I mean we don't know all the details of it but we know that's our home huh this is not our home we're just pilgrims passing through heaven is our home and we will tabernacle with God and you start reading this right here the new heavens and the new earth and basically what's going to happen, because right now you have the first, second, and third heaven. The first heaven is the atmosphere. Second heaven is the galaxies. The third heaven is, I guess, where you could say where God you know, lives in his, in his fullness, where there's no sin. And in, in heaven, it's all put together. And we're going to be on a, on a new earth. Um, and, and then you know, there's going to be the heavens. There's going to be stars. There's going to be things like that. But no more sin. And, and then, you know, that's where we end up as believers. But look at the next verse, Revelation 21 and verse 7. He overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his son, his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. And if you go back to Revelation uh, chapter 20, 
It says in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Think about that. The earth and the heavens, they fled from him. And he sends up this great white throne. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is eternity. In heaven or or hell, or probably most uh, um, accurately stated, the lake of fire. Because right now when people die outside of Christ, they go to hell. But one day hell or Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. Right here, real quick, it says Jesus spoke more about hell, which ultimately leads to the lake of fire, than he did about heaven. Understand, God's heart is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Bottom line is, we decide where we will spend eternity, either in the eternal blessed presence of God, or in eternal torment where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now Jesus said in Matthew twenty-five forty-one, and he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Second Thessalonians one nine, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And Revelation 14, 11, it says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. And so when we tell people about hell, uh, we don't do it arrogantly. We don't do it with anger. We do it with broken hearts. And that's why... You know, when we, when we understand what, 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 what this place is, what the lake of fire is, it really, it really moves us, you know, to, to do everything like, like Ray was talking about earlier. Whatever the gifts are, Lord, help me to do my part so that people would be saved. Okay? Yes. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, the Lord yeah, personally puts him there. Yeah, the Bible talks about that specifically. So if the devil ever reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future, okay? Well, you actually don't probably want to talk to him. So. What was A for eternity and was B the lake of fire? Yeah, so A would probably be heaven and then B is the lake of fire. Nowadays, you have some people who say there's no hell and uh, don't listen to them because it's clearly taught in Scripture. Yes, sir. Um, is it actually possible for someone to like, die and end in hell or like, die in hell? No, from what I understand when I read the Bible, they, we're eternal creatures. We're made in the image of God, and so we will not, we will not cease to exist. All right, let me pray with you guys. Lord, I thank you so much for 
Lord, the, the future that we have in Christ, which you've saved us from. Lord, I pray uh, that you would help us to be ready for the rapture. And Lord, that you would help us just to walk with you. Uh, I just thank you, Father, for your church. I thank you for the people that are here today. And uh, help us to continue, Lord, to study all these things, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in every person here. And just drawing us closer and closer to you, Lord. I, I know... Lord, that I want to be more like you, and I have not arrived by any means. I pray for your protection over these beautiful people, Lord, that they would truly follow you, walk with you, enjoy you, Lord, all the days of their life. And Lord, if it's okay, just to ask for a special blessing upon them, Lord, because I don't know, Lord, that them coming in these seven weeks, Lord, um, please, Lord, just bless that step of faith on their part. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's all take a picture real quick. I know you guys got to go, but let's do a real quick picture. Thanks, Laura.